Welcome to episode six of the Friends with Opinions podcast. My name is Emma Gahari and I have my friend Mike here. Today we're going to be talking about the central division and going to be breaking down for fantasy hockey purposes which players are in the elite suite, which are dependable Joes, who are the risky plays, the sleeper seekers, talk about the rookies who are ready to break the ice, and other players who you should just keep your eyes peeled on for fantasy and put on your watch list. So yeah, the Central is an interesting division, huh, Mike? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, you have the President's Trophy winning National Predators and their 117 points, and then the runner-up Winnipeg Jets in there. Uh, but also other good teams like the Minnesota Wild, the St. Louis Blues, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Dallas Stars. So six of the seven teams had over 92 points, um, with only Chicago really bringing up the rear with some injury troubles. But it's a very, very competitive division. Yeah, yeah. It'll be definitely interesting to see how it plays out uh, this year. Starting off with the Chicago Blackhawks. Very interesting team. You got a mix of the old uh, veterans who won several titles with this team, and they're really trying to bring in that next wave of youth so they can get back to the glory land and and win a cup here. Um, my first question to you is: Is Patrick Kane, you know, after having Artemi Panarin leave in a trade for Brandon Saad, he kind of took a step back last year? So, do you think he's still that elite suite type guy? Uh, I mean, he's borderline right now. I think we have to see what he does this year. But I mean, 76 points in 82 games still isn't horrible. Yeah. But, you know, a minus 20 rating is just not going to cut it from a guy like Patrick Kane. Yeah. Um, I think he's elite sweet. I mean, he's one of the few guys who can really threaten for an Art Ross. And sure, his line mates, um, you need to step up. But, you know, we'll get into it. But I think he has some young guys to play with that he can you know, get some magic going like he had with uh, Panarin. Um, so you're kind of thinking he's more dependable Joe this season? Yeah, I mean, he definitely didn't get there last year. Um, a big part of that, I guess, was Brandon Saad was just not very good in his return to Chicago. Um, he came in with some big expectations, and he just didn't produce. Um, yeah, he had 35 points in 82 games. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he had like a hat trick in his first game. So that, you know, taking away that, it makes it look even worse. But doesn't that make him a bit of a sleeper this year? Because he is a power forward type that might be able to contribute in the penalty minutes, the hits. He's going to get the top six role. So he, I think he's a bit of a sleeper this year. Yeah, I mean, the hope would be he'd bounce back to his, you know, what he's shown earlier in his career that he's capable of. Um, I think he'll probably be able to get him pretty low on a draft. So he's definitely a guy that could outperform his draft spot. And so what are your thoughts on T- Jonathan Taves? I think he's a classic risky play because of the you know name value is huge. I think he's a awesome, un- unreal uh, hockey player. And I would want him on my team any day because he steps up in the key moments. But when it comes to fantasy, it seems like he's kind of capped out at about 60. And, you know, maybe if your league counts face-offs, he's one of those elite guys. But outside of that, it just... It seems like one of these years he's got to put up like a one of those elite offensive type years, but it just, just never seems to happen. Yeah, I think he's just not that kind of player. Um, you know, he's very dependable. He's going to get you around that 50 to 60 point mark, but the upside's not there. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see who he plays with this year. It looks like he's projected to play with Chris Kunitz and Alex Dabrinkat. 
Yeah. So really, like Debrincat's gonna have to carry that line because Kunitz isn't uh, an elite level player at all. You know, he's more should be more of a bottom six kind of guy at this stage of his career. I agree. Kunitz is kind of bouncing around a bit. Um, he went, it was on, I think, Tampa last year, and then now he's on Chicago. So I think he's a classic third line guy. So I don't think he has much value. There's Artem and Isimov on the third line. I think in the past people have valued him because you know he was the, he was the man in the middle between Panarin and Kane. But now you know as a third line playing with you know a Kunitz or a Dylan Sakura, I don't know if he's going to get those numbers. So there are three, a trio of young offensive forwards for the Blackhawks who I have all three in my dynasty league. So I'm a bit biased, but which of those three um, kind of sticks out for you? Um, and you know what I'm talking about. Who I'm talking about? Nick Schmaltz and uh, Dylan Sakara. So I think Debrincat's the guy with the highest upside. Yeah. Um, for this year, like 28 goals last year. Um, really talented player. Scored a lot of points in junior. People were kind of unsure. He played with Connor McDavid in junior. So if he was kind of got the points because of McDavid, but he's showing that he can play. Um, he's a not. A, he's a smaller guy. Um, but he's definitely a, a guy to keep an eye on for fantasy. Um, and he's a guy like that should be, you know, if you project him to take a little bit of a step this year, so you're hoping he can get to that maybe 55, maybe 60 point plateau. Yeah. So he had 52 and 82 last year. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to wax poetic about uh, Alex the Brinkat. I think the knock on him has always been his size. He's 5'7, a buck 65. But, when you look at his OHL career, he had back-to-back-to-back 50-goal years in the OHL. And we talked about it on the podcast before that if you can bury the biscuit in the basket in the OHL, it translates to the NHL. And the thing with his numbers um, that you have to kind of take a, take under consideration is, you know, having had him, he was actually on the third line for a lot of the years. So he didn't really get, you know, the chance to play up with a Taves or a Kane that you could really see what his top level could do. And he wasn't always getting the power play one uh, time. I mean, there's a risk of a sophomore slump, but people keep underestimating this guy. So he actually led them in goals last year ahead of Kane, which is kind of a shock. Um, but I think, yeah, DeBrincat has over 60 points and over 30 goal type potential this year. Um, if, you know, and hopefully he'll get that top six minutes. Nick Schmaltz is another guy, um, but going back to his college days, um, at North Dakota, he played on a line when they won the national championship with Brock Besser and with um, Drake Kajula. And he kind of caught my eye at that time. And he's really fast and he's got great passing. He seems like he's developed a decent chemistry with Patrick Kane. So I think Nick Schmaltz, you know, keeps getting better his first couple of years. Um, I think he has a lot of potential. I noticed with him, he's he can run a little bit hot and cold. There's times where he's hot where... He can fly down the ice and, you know, at high speeds, but then make plays at these high speeds and just have everything click and have these wow plays. But he doesn't always bring that. Um, so, yeah, like with Schmaltz, now I'm big on him, but what do you what do you think about him? So my concern with Schmaltz is the number of shots he had last year. So in 78 games, he only had 118 shots on goal. And he scored 21 goals. So his shooting percentage was really high, like almost 18% shooting percentage. And that's just not likely to stay that high. So I can see some regression coming for him in the goals department. Um, 
you know, he does get the top six minutes. So, you know, if he's playing with Kane, is a pretty good spot to be on at even strike. So he could definitely pick that up in the assists. But I can see him um, regressing in goals just because that's not, you know, only 118 shots on goal is not a great amount for a top six forward. Yeah. Okay. I guess we're going to have to disagree on that. I think my boy Nick Schmaltz is going to break out this year. Um, another interesting guy um, that I alluded to was Dylan Sequeira. So whenever a guy puts up close to two points a game in college, you know, my eyebrows raise a bit. And so he had 54 points in 35 games last year with Northeastern. He was playing on a line with uh, Canucks prospect Adam Gaudet, and Gaudet ended up winning the Hobie Baker, but Sequeira was in the running. He's got he's a, he's a bit on the smaller side as well, five eleven, only a buck fifty five. So sorry, a buck fifty eight. So that's going to be a challenge for him. And it looks like he's going to be on the third line. He might get the Debrinkat treatment this year. But I think if he gets into the top six, he's got that hockey IQ and the instincts that I think he can put up some numbers if he gets a chance. Yeah, he's definitely a guy that I have interest in, more so for dynasty leagues. Um, like like you said, he'll be on the third line to start the year, it looks like. So could have a little bit of a slow start or not be able to produce right away without the power play time. But he's definitely got to keep an eye on and uh, draft him in dynasty leagues for sure. Yeah, and I think that's you know kind of the only other um, Hawks forward. So looking at their D, you know it begins with uh, Keith and Seabrook all these years. Um, but Keith, I think he's a risky play. Uh, he's had some pretty top end offensive seasons, but he's just kind of up and down with his point totals every year. And I don't know if you can count on him to be that guy. And he just turned 35. I mean, there's no question this guy's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best defensemen ever to play the game. But this year, to me, he's a risky play. Um, And with Seabrook, I think Seabrook might actually have a bit of a sleeper value because he's one of these defensemen who gets the power play, the penalty minutes. He can get some power play time. He gets a ton of hits, a ton of blocks. So I think Seabrook is like one of those Zidane Chara type defensemen who can fill in those other categories for you. Um, so I think just based on value, I might lean more towards him, but I don't know if I'd have him as a top you know, 20 defenseman by any means. Yeah, I think I'm going to be avoiding both of them. Um, you know, especially in dynasty leagues, they're both getting up there in age. Um, as far as like redraft leagues, you know, Duncan Keith might have some value as a bounce back guy. Um, he's probably not going to be a minus 29 again. But his name value is just so high that he's likely going to go a lot higher than I'd want to draft him. So I probably won't have either one of those guys this year. Yeah, it seems like Keith and Taves are kind of in the same boat. Their name value exceeds their fantasy value. Looking into the future for the Hawks, they've been using some of their top picks on some defensemen, both with offensive potential. And I, I think that's really where their need is, especially with those young forwards they have. But there's Adam Bokvist, um, who I think is playing for the London Knights in the OHL. So it's a great organization. Be intrigued to see how he does there after spending the year in Sweden last year. And then there's Henry Yokiharu from Portland of the WHL. He had 71 points in 63 games. And he's a right shot D-man. He's like the type of guy. These two guys, I mean, these guys are desperate to get them. But do you think Yokiharu has a chance to make the team this year? Yeah, so it sounds like Joel Quinville's been really impressed with his defensive game. Mm-hmm. So that bodes well for him making the roster. And, I mean, definitely definitely worth a risk in Dynasty, um, you know. But 
as far as just redraft leagues, it's going to be tough for a, a young rookie defenseman to come in and make a huge impact right away with Keith and Seabrook hitting most of the minutes. Yeah, eventually I could see him being the other guy on the power play with Keith, so he could have a big role there and having Seabrook on the second unit. But that said, in a dynasty league, it seems like Volkvist has that really top-end offensive ability as well. So it'll be interesting to see in the long run which of those two is manning the power play for PP1 for that team. But yeah, Yoki Haru, I think, has got sleeper potential for this season. So it'll be interesting how he'll do. The goaltending, um, you know, Corey Crawford, to me, he's been one of the elite suite goalies in the NHL. A lot of a lot of it having to do with the team and the you know guaranteed wins you can count on him. And his numbers, his ratios were very good in the limited games he played last year. 28 games, 16 wins, 9 losses, 2 OT losses. But his numbers were 2.27 and 929 save percentage. And I don't think people realize how much this team relies on Crawford. So I think he's got a bit of sleeper potential because of the injury. People might kind of write him off. And because of the young talent Chicago has, I could see it being a bounce back year for the team in general. Yeah, absolutely. Crawford, I mean, he was really good last year in the time that he played. And that's kind of when their season took a big nosedive was when he got hurt. Yeah, um, you know they've signed Cam Ward this year to back him up to have that experience backup because they didn't have anyone last year. Um, but I think Crawford's still not ready to go. Um, oh, is that right? I think he's not been practicing. I think he's just skating on his own still. So, yeah, he's definitely. I'd say he's a bit of a risky play still. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think in the matchup type leagues, like a guy like that, I'm really counting on him in the playoffs. I mean, you need him during the regular season. But yeah, maybe you can go with Cam Ward in the early year. Um, I mean, it, the defense for Chicago is arguably better than Carolina, but maybe not. They have some decent tea on Carolina too. So I think Crawford is a guy that because his value is going to drop is somebody I'm going to try to target just on value alone. And, you know, he could end up being a real difference maker if he's able to come back healthy in Chicago, you know, kind of has a good strong year if these young players uh, come in and contribute. So it'll be interesting to see if Chicago can reach the promised land once again. Okay, next up we have the Colorado Avalanche. I think they're elite suite. We've got to talk about Nathan McKinnon. He had a breakout year, Hart Trophy candidate. He put up a ton of points. And, I mean, it was definitely him who who had a breakout year for sure, 97 points in 74 games. So, you know, if he puts up a whole 82 games, I think sky's the limit. He could get into those triple-digit category. But it's not just him, you know, and I think people don't realize that for a player to take that leap, you need to have some talent around you. And he's really clicked, especially with Nico Rantanen and then having Landeskog on his flank as well. So Rantanen put up 84 points in 81 games, which, you know, not too many people saw coming that soon. And Landeskog, you know, not as much, 62 points in 78 games. But Landis Cog, again, is in one of those guys who contributes in the hits category in leagues. And, he, you know, he's going to get the chance on the power play and on that top line. Um, what are your thoughts on those guys? Yeah, I think Landis Cog's kind of more of that dependable Joe type player. He'll get you, you know, he kind of does the dirty work on that line. He's going to get you the hits, the penalty minutes. Um, and Ranton and McKinnon are the two skill guys. You know, they're definitely in the elite category after last year. So Ranton is elite, you think? 
yeah, 84 points in 81 games. Um, you know, just had great chemistry with McKinnon. And he's very good on the power play. I think back in his, after he got drafted, he was in the AHL and he did really well and over point a game in the AHL in his rookie year there. Um, and he, it's just, he has an innate ability on the power play to manage the, the half wall there and working with McKinnon. The chemistry is amazing. So I, I think I will agree with you. Um, you know, it might be the first year he's there, but Miko Rannan is definitely in the elite suite. I do wonder, though, that looking at the rest of their lines, wouldn't it be smart for them to maybe spread out the love a bit and get Rantanen on another line so that they could have a bit of a balanced offense? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's something they could consider. Um, they have a lot of young players, I think, that they really like as well on the other lines. Like, the second line is Alex Kerfoot, um, you know, who I've watched since he was in the BCHL. He had 43 points last year. Um, Tyson Jost was just drafted, um, you know, with their first round pick, 22 points only last year as a 19-year-old. Dealt with some injuries, kind of came on at the end of last year. So it'll be interesting to see how those two look together. If they can provide a solid second line um, and take some of the pressure off of the big line, could be a good Colorado team this year. I just kind of question Tyson Jose's up, like offensive upside. He, he seems like for sure a 200-foot player. He can play on both sides of the puck. But Jost, I don't know if that elite offensive ability, like he has that. Um, he kind of has some wow plays. But when you watch over the course of the game, there's some times where you kind of don't notice him for long stretches. And I don't know if um, like he maybe has to work on his consistency. But I don't know if he's got that offensive ability you'd think that like a 10th overall type player would, would have. And Kerfoot, yeah, he had a solid year. Um, but I don't know if... Like, I think he might even be at a ceiling already. Like, I don't know if there's much more there um, with Kerfoot. So I don't know if either of those guys I'm going to be targeting. What's your thoughts on a JT Comfer or a, yeah, well, Sven Andrigato is not really that noteworthy, but a JT Comfer, he was pretty good in college too, put up some decent offensive numbers and was solid in the AHL. Do you think he's somebody who could make an impact? Uh, in deeper leagues, maybe, but I don't think the upside's there for for your typical league okay and then and one guy that i've been high on for several years now when he was in the nashville system vladislav Kamenev, he was in the trade for um for with, with samuel gerard in the matt duchene trade and i was you know really high on him i remember actually uh, i heard the trade happen and i was just in the opening credits of a movie and so i rushed to pick him up without even considering like how many moves i had and then he quickly got injured. He didn't get a chance. It seemed like he was going to be the second-line center. He's got a lot of skill. Um, put up 16 points in 17 games in the AHL. And, you know, the point of game in the AHL is kind of a mark that I look at. So I think he has that potential to be a, a breakout candidate this year, a sleeper. But he's just burned me so many times in the last few years. I just don't know if I'm the guy who's going to do it, you know? Yeah, I think he's in a dynasty league only play at this point. Do you think this year he's will he at least win the second line uh, center job? He's got to beat out a Carl Soderberg or a Kerfoot. Uh, I think he's more likely to end up on the third line, probably with JT Comfer and Colin Wilson, is how what they have projected here. Okay, okay, okay. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, looking at their defense, there's a few notable names there. Tyson Berry is the big one that stands out. Um, yeah, do you think he's elite sweet? He had 57 points in 68 games last year. Victoria's very own Tyson Berry. 
Uh, do you think he's a lead sweet? I kind of think he's more of a defendable Joe, um, in part because I think Samuel Gerrard, one of the other defensemen, uh, only 23 points in 73 games for Gerrard, but I think he's got a lot of offensive ability, and I think eventually he could end up taking over for Barry. So which one, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think Barry's very good. I think last year might kind of be his his peak as far as points per game go. Um I'm not well, he plays worried, on that power play I'm as well. Not too worried about Gerard taking his spot on the power play this year. Um, so I think Barry's still a very, very good pick. Um, a very dependable player. The other guy I like on their back end is Eric Johnson. Okay. Um, he doesn't score an awful lot, but with his hits and his block shots, his fantasy point per game is quite good. Um, I had him last year on a team, and he's just very, very solid player, very dependable. Uh, good floor, uh, not at that high upside ceiling because mm. he doesn't score enough, but a very good floor and very safe pick um, for a kind of a depth defenseman. You know, in that same vein, in one of my pools late in the year, I was hungry for hits and I picked up Nikita Zadorov and he gets a ton of hits and he gets the penalty minutes. You know, the offense only 20, 20 points in 77 games, but he's way, way up there in terms of the hits. So I think if I'm in a matchup league and, you know, that's one of the categories I'm down in later in the week, I might just pick him up for a game or two because he can, like I think one of the games he had like eight hits and he really helped me out. So, yeah, those two guys bring that grit. Um, so, yeah, in terms of their defense over the long term, we're just talking about uh, off the air, Carol McCarr. He's a, one of their top picks, the fourth overall in 2017. He's uh, played at UMass last year. And he's going to play for Team Canada at the World Juniors once again this year. So it seems like he's for sure, well, he's going to have another year at UMass. But I think after this season, I could see him joining the club at the end of the year. In terms of the outlook for the long term, do you think he's the top offensive defenseman for Colorado, say, five years down the line ahead of a Gerard or a Barry? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, you draft a defenseman in the top five, you expect him to be a high-impact player. So I think I think Kale McCarr is the number one guy you want um, in the future for Colorado, and then Connor Timmins as well. I think is a player to look at for Dynasty. Um, those two are kind of I think the future on defense for Colorado. Okay, sounds good. And uh, looking at their goal goaltending, I think I'm going to stay away a bit from their goaltending because it very much does look like a timeshare. I could see so they have Simeon Varlamov who tends to have some injuries year to year. He played 51 games last year. Ratios are pretty good, 2.68, 9.20. But then they just recently acquired Philip Grubauer from the from the Capitals, who, you know, as we were talking about in another pod, how he kind of took over from Holtby at the end of the year, and it seemed like he's ready for a starting job. And, his you know, his, his ratios were excellent, 2.35 goals against, 9.23 save percentage. So I think... The conventional wisdom is that Grubauer has the multi-year deal. Varlamov's on the last year of his deal. So over the course of the year, Grubauer is going to take over the number one spot. But for the course of the season, this year, it seems like it's going to be more of a timeshare. But yeah, what do you think? Do you think Grubauer is going to just run away with it and put up 30 wins? Um, I can definitely see a timeshare happening. I think they would like Grubauer to take over and play maybe the majority of the games, but he's never really played a full season in the NHL. So maybe he gets, you know, trying to get up to about 50 games this year. 
on Varlamov takes the other 30, and then next year maybe he's ready to go up to 60 when Varlamov's gone. Yeah. But we've seen Varlamov in the past just have – he gets on hot streaks, and, you know, your team can just keep using him, um, and he'll just get on those streaks where he's unbeatable. So I think he'll have maybe one or two of those this year, and that will keep him kind of up in that 30, 35, 40 start range. Yeah, and Varlamov, I mean, either of these guys, they might be uh, ones that might pay off later in the year if you're in a matchup league and you want somebody for the playoffs. Um, if Varlamov ends up getting traded, potentially, if uh, Grubauer shows that he can handle a bigger role, then Grubauer can be the starter, and then who knows where Varlamov could potentially get traded. Um, so, yeah, something to keep an eye on. But I agree. I, I think they're going to be a timeshare, and I think while Colorado will have a you know pretty good season, um, I don't know if either of them is going to warrant you know enough play time to get over 20, 20 wins each. So, um, that might max out. So the, you kind of want that 30-win type goalie in fantasy. So, yeah, I think Colorado's got a lot of talent, but they're still very much uh, up-and-coming type team. Yeah, it's still a young team, young defense, and they're in a really tough division where they have to match up with Nashville and Winnipeg. You know, Dallas has a lot of offense, so does St. Louis. So it's not like a sure thing with their goalies, for sure. And they seem to, over the, over the years, to kind of have a really good year, and then they just – Go in the tank, and I don't know. Like I don't think it's going to happen this year. They have the whole Matt Duchesne saga behind them, and McKinnon and Ratnan very much seem to have arrived in the elite suite and can kind of carry them and lead them. Um, but yeah, I think overall there's a bit of a risk that this team might come back down to earth a bit. So yeah, it'll be interesting. The Dallas Stars—they're an interesting team. They had a bit of a down year. Last season, they're they're led by Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. I'm curious what you think. Do you think both those guys are in the elite suite? Yeah, I think they are for sure. Um, you know, both very talented guys. Uh, 79 points last year for Ben and 78 points for Sagan, both in 82 games. Um, they kind of sometimes get split apart. They don't always play together anymore, just because Dallas doesn't have any depth of the forward. Lines. They really have Ben, Sagan, and Radulov. And then it goes really quickly downhill from there. You end up with Spezza, Nikushkin, Como, and Matthias Janmark. So I think if they were able to stay together for a full year, I think they could easily um, get up into that 90 point range again each. But Ben and Sagan are elite, and Radulov um, playing with those two on the power play is pretty close to elite as well, with 72 points in 82 games. Um, other than that, there's not really anything to like on the Dallas forward group. We've been talking a little bit lately about Valerie Nikushkin, um, and you had a take on his numbers in the KHL and how they would translate to the NHL. So what do you think about Nikushkin coming back? Yeah, Nikushkin, um, you know, he kind of, I, I was quite impressed when he was drafted. He just seemed like a big body. And, and you know, I keep bringing it up, but the World Juniors, he was impressed by kind of being able to take the puck to the net at will. He was a man amongst boys. So I thought he was going to step into the NHL and, and, you know, turn a lot of heads. But, you know, he kind of fizzled in the NHL and then went to the KHL for development reasons, I guess. But looking in the KHL and, you know, looking back at some of those players who have come from the KHL and put up numbers in the NHL, generally they're at a point of game in KHL. Like a couple examples is, you know, Radulov. He's one of those guys who put over a point of game in the KHL, translates to the NHL. Artemi Panarin is another guy 
who put up big numbers. KHL, it comes over. But Nachushkin in the KHL for CSKA Moscow, 16 goals, 11 assists, 27 points in, in 50 games. So that is not real big wow factor for me. So Nachushkin, you know, he might have a bit of a power forward type upside, but I really think he's dependent on which line he's going to play with. If, you know, back in the day, he did get some minutes with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan on that top line. So if somehow he finds himself on that top line, he's locked in there, then for sure I'm all in on Nachushkin. But just on his own talent alone, he, he doesn't he doesn't do it for me. So um, Nachushkin, do you, do you agree with that? Or do you think he has more upside than I'm giving him credit for? Um, yeah, I'm not really a huge fan. Like I was thought in the past he'd develop more than he did, but he's just never gotten there. So I, I don't know if it's going to happen this year you know, skating without skating on the line with Ben and Sagan. Yeah. And coming back to Radulov, do you think there's a bit of risk with Radulov that if he does, you know, if he's not playing with those guys that, you know, he can't put up those numbers or do you think he's that dependable Joe? You didn't say he's not quite elite, but he's, he's probably a dependable Joe type at this point. Uh, yeah. I think his power play minutes will take him up into that um, kind of the upper, upper tier of the dependable Joes. Um, you know, he had, Seven power play goals last year, 16 assists, so 23 points in the power play. Uh, and, you know, they have such a good power play with him and Ben and Sagan and Klingberg that he should be able to rack up more than enough points on the power play to keep himself in that upper tier. Yeah, and another guy I'm curious what your take is on is, is, is Betza. I think there is some sleeper potential there. He has a past of putting up really big offensive numbers in the NHL, playing a game guy. Um, but he seems to have fallen out of favor I think it was with Hitchcock became the coach. Am I right at the end? And I think with Spezza, they clashed. So Spezza just had a, a terrible season last year, 26 points in 78 games, a far cry from where he was before. But I could see him if he gets back onto that top power play and he does maybe have like a Ben slide down and play with him. He could be a sleeper um, that can kind of step up and kind of regain his former glory. Yeah, it's just tough to rely on a 34-year-old that averaged 0.33 points a game last year to bounce back. I mean, it's definitely possible if he plays with guys the caliber of Ben and Sagan, um, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to be relying on that to happen this year. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they have some other players that seem like they're a middle of the road, and I don't know if either of any of them are going to really take off. But a couple names I'm looking at are Radic Faxa. He's a you know really good two-way player, but the offense, you know, I don't think he's ever going to get up there. 33 points in 79 games last season. Another guy I'm looking at is Matthias Janmark, uh, 34 points in 81 games. I was pretty high on him going to the year last year, but you know he had a decent year, but not anything too too impressive. And then another guy in the AHL uh, is uh, Rupa Hints, only 35 points in 70 games, but he has some skill too. So any of these other forwards on Dallas that you're keeping your eyes peeled on? No, I'm just going to stick with the big three forwards for Dallas. Not even Brett Ritchie? You know, he like, he's kind of seems to be one of those power forward types, but he's 24 years old last year, only 14 points. So it's really tough to predict a big jump for him at this stage of his career. Yeah. Okay. And their defense uh, – yeah, a lot to discuss here. John Klingberg, I think he's elite sweet, no question about it. And uh, on the defensive end, 
He's one of the top defensive guys, 67 points in 82 games. He had eight goals. I think he could score more goals. I mean, 59 assists is quite high. He's going to be on that power play. It seems like every time I have him in one of my leagues and every time I see a power play goal for Dallas, I'm, you know, cashing in because I know he's got a, at least an assist on there. So I think he's definitely elite suite. The thing that does worry me just a tad is their top pick uh, from 2017, third overall, Miro Heiskanen. He's got all kinds of hype. People think he's a number one defenseman. Um, and then there's also a former offensive defenseman, Julius Honka, that, um, you know, is kind of fizzled from the pedigree that he once had. But do you think either of those guys are going to threaten Klingberg in any way? Uh, no, not this year for sure. I think Klingberg's, uh, he's underrated for how good he is. He's definitely in the elite category. I mean, 67 points for a defenseman. Um, you know, he shot the puck 204 times and only scored eight goals. So you could say his, he was a little bit unlucky in that. So you potentially see him getting a few more goals this year. You could see maybe 70 points from him. Yeah, and it is a shocker because his wrist shot from the point and his ability to dangle on that blue line and, and get open and wrist at top corner, you'd think he'd have a lot more goals. One guy that has been pretty good in the AHL and seems to play up in the lineup is Essa Lindell. Do you think, he, yeah, is he somebody you're, you're kind of looking at and keeping your eyes peeled on? I, I, I've been a little, I've, I've kind of thought he'd be good, but then he's underwhelmed my expectations. Yeah, I mean, I think he's okay. He's, you know, not a lot of upside, but 27 points in 80 games isn't terrible. Um, plus 19, so that's really good rating for, for plus minus uh, leagues. And he's still pretty young too, right? Yeah, just 23 years old. So, you know, definitely... Um, Kind of a lower down defenseman for for deeper leagues, but he's somebody that you can keep an eye on for sure. Okay, and then uh, moving on to their goaltending, they really tried to shore up the goaltending when they got Ben Bishop from Tampa Bay. Looking at his numbers last year, only 26 wins. I would have thought he easily would have gone over 30. Only played 53 games, though. Um, Goals against 2.49, save percentage 916. I think he's a dependable Joe type the goalie. Dallas, you know, I don't know if they're really going to take off and they've made any major improvements this year. But I think he's around that 30 level, a dependable Joe. I, I don't think he's the elite level that maybe he had when he was in Tampa. Yeah, I think the team in front of him is just not going to get him maybe quite as many wins, but he's still a good goalie. So I think I agree with that dependable Joe characterization. Okay, that's the Dallas Stars. The Minnesota Wild, interesting team, a lot of players to discuss. I don't think they have anybody in the elite suite, uh, even though, you know, Eric Stahl had 76 points in 82 last year. And, you know, he has a pedigree and a history of producing numbers like that. But with his age, you know, at 34 or so, I don't know if we can count on him to continue with that. Yeah, do you agree? Is there anybody here that stands out as being an elite player for fantasy? Um, I wouldn't say Eric Stahl's up there. I mean, it's hard to see him coming close to his 76 points again, um, just based on he's getting up there, like you said. Um, For me, I'm more interested in, like, Mikhail Granlin, Jason Zucker, uh, those kind of guys. Like, Granlin had 67 points last year. Um, You know, missed a few games with injuries, but he's a guy that you could look at maybe getting 70 points this year. Um, so pretty close, maybe borderline elite level. Um, 
And then, you know, Koivu is more of the defensive player on that line. And then Nino Niederreier is another guy that I've been high on for a little while. It keeps waiting for him to have kind of that breakout 30-goal season. And his his stats are always good, but he's kind of run into some injuries and never quite gotten there. So hopefully an injury-free season for him this year and he can – kind of show what he's what he's got. They have a few good young players as well that are kind of interesting with Jordan Greenway, Joel Erickson Eck. Um, you know, they're both kind of Greenway's a big guy, um, kind of a power forward type, and Erickson Eck's a really skilled guy. So we'll see where they slot in. But who do you like for the Minnesota forwards? Yeah, like I agree with you with Grandland is a, you know, dependable Joe. I think Zucker is a bit of a risk. Uh, you know, he had 33 goals and 64 points in 82 games last year. I think that was a career, career year for him. Um, and I just think with Parise having been injured last year, he had 24 points in 42 games, but he finished the year pretty hot. So I could see Parise kind of eating into Zucker's minutes a bit. So I think Zucker's more in the risky play category. Um, and on the flip side, Parise having that, you know, he could have like an Eric Stahl like bounce back year um, before, you know, his career really kind of takes a dive. So I think Parise has got some sleeper potential. Eric Stahl, I agree. I think he's a dependable Joe, but he's risky because um, the name value is there. People are going to look to last year. Um, Miko Koivu, I just think he's like, you can't roster him because he's he's not no upside whatsoever. Joel Erickson, I had him in a league, but his offense um I just don't know if he's going to get that offense to get that chance. Long-term dynasty leagues, for sure. I'm pretty high on Ericsson Eck because you could just see Koivu and Stahl are older. So it just seems like a matter of time. They don't really have anybody else who's a center that can maybe you know beat him out. So I think Ericsson, Ericsson Eck for the long term, once he gets in that top six role, could put up some, some impressive numbers. The one guy you mentioned that I'm very intrigued with is Jordan Greenway. Because, again, he's one of these rare power forwards who can muck it up, get the hits, get the penalty minutes. He's got, you know, sneaky offensive ability. He has a potential to have a dominant, like, Todd Bertuzzi-like game. So Greenway is a hockey player, and I think in fantasy, he's a guy that I'm going to reach on because he can contribute in so many different categories. So I'm a really big fan of him. Nita Ryder, I agree. Like, it's just mind-boggling how he can't put it together but it doesn't seem like he's gonna do it there's a couple other guys that i'm interested in and i've expected a lot from charlie Coyle. i mean he's who they got for brent burns so i'm sure with the wild expected a lot more too but he seems to have some upside he can play some center as well so yeah maybe he's slotting in at center one day um there's another but, guy that adds a lot of hits and kind of like peripherals like the shots on goal and uh hits block shots for a forward he gets in there pretty well yeah so i, th- I think coil has a bit of the sleeper potential because he's got the ability yeah um if he gets like a more of a chance another guy i think he ended had his season end with injury who's a, a former like a top prospect is luke cunning he's got some skills he kind of reminds me again like a vincent trocek light type player so I think that's somebody I'm going to keep my eyes peeled on. But as you can tell, like we just rattle off like nine, ten names. So it's anybody's guess who's going to emerge out of that forward group. And the other guy we should talk about for dynasty formats, he's still in Russia, but yeah. Kirill Kaprizov. 
Yeah. Um, you know, 40 points in 46 games in the KHL last year. So pretty close to that point per game pace. Yeah. Um, as well as playing in the Olympics. He looked good um, playing for the Olympic team as well. Yeah, I think he's got ridiculous skill. He's so uh, shifty on, on his on the skates. Um, he's got he could sniff goals like in front of the net. Like he's got such a ability. I've wanted to stash him in one of my leagues, but there's just way too much uncertainty over when he's going to come. There was a time there for the first like year or two after he was he was drafted in 2015, so we're already you know several years out. But I think only last year, after the new year, did the GM for Minnesota actually make contact with Kaprasov for the first time like ever. So they didn't even talk to the guy. So I think they actually hoped he would have came last year, but then he ended up re-signing with the KHL. I I can't remember if he has a year or two left, but. It just seems like he could be one of these guys who will never come. Um, so he's just a lot of risk. But absolutely, if he comes, I could easily see him putting up a 60-point year like today. So Kaprizov is is definitely a high, high-skilled guy. And it's really a shame that he's not in the NHL, although selfishly for us because we want to see him play. Um, but their defense, they have actually a few, few intriguing guys on defense that can contribute. Which of those guys are you eyeing? Um, so Matt Dumba really had a breakout season last year, 50 points, um, played a full season, got some power play time. Um, so really it's him. And then Jared Spurgeon is a guy that you might kind of go overlooked this year because he got hurt towards the end of the year, only played 61 games, but still scored 37 points. So I think both of those two guys are the defensemen that I'm looking at. Um, I guess, you know, Ryan Suter is maybe still in that dependable range, but he just doesn't score enough anymore. Doesn't he, though? He had 51 points in 78 games, granted only six goals. But 51 points for a defenseman, I think, is pretty impressive. And, you know, he's going to get those minutes. He's going to get, like, the power play time. But it is actually pretty impressive that the Wild have three defensemen that are able to put up numbers like that. So I'm with you. I think Dumba... It's kind of funny, his number, I'm not sure if it's now, but back in the day it was 55. So people would often, you know, put the number and the last name together and call him dumbass. But he's definitely not, uh, his game isn't isn't that way. And he can throw those bone-crunching hits as well. So I think Dumba is a really big sleeper this year for fantasy. And maybe his, his performance hasn't really caught up with his name. And yeah, Spurgeon, that's a great point. I mean, 37 points. In only 61 games, so like pro-rated, he's over 50 points as well. So that's three guys that have a you know pro-rated 50 points or more. So they rely a lot on the back end. And I think one point overall about the Minnesota Wild, and I think it helped Grandland a, a lot to kind of break out, is you know their coach Bruce Boudreau has historically been an offensive coach that helps those types of players. So I think that kind of explains a bit how some the three defensemen can put up so many points so i think yeah you can't really go wrong with either of those three i think i'll err on the side of dumba because of the all-around game and he had 14 goals so he had most goals out of those three as well um their goaltending you know as an oiler fan and uh, being disappointed with uh, his performance when he was with the oilers and then being bitter with his performance when he's not been on the oilers i'm just not a huge fan of devin dubnik I do recognize he's a dependable Joe for goaltenders. Some people might say he's an elite sweet goalie for fantasy. 
but my bias and my bitterness will not allow me to do that. How do you feel about Devin Dubnik? Um, I do think elite's a little bit too high. I mean, he's very dependable, I would say, like, to get you those maybe 35, 40 wins just because he's got a very good team in front of him, and he's still a good goalie. Like, he's, you know, 252 goals against average, 918 save percentage. So you can definitely see him you know, coming pretty close to those numbers again. Um, I think my issue, dependable. yeah, and I think my issue with him, like I think for fantasy he's reliable, but my issue I think is the real life goalie that he tends to crumble in the big games, or if he lets in a few goals, it just the wheels fall off. Um, but I think I agree with fantasy. Begrudgingly, I have to admit he's one of the one of the better ones. But are we not worried that Andrew Hammond, the Hamburglar? could have one of those runs that he had with the Sands back in the day and take some of his starts? No. no. <laughs> not, not at all. Okay. That, we'll leave it at that. So the Hamburglar is done. Okay, next up, we've got the Nashville Predators. They have a lot of good players. I think overall a bit of an overrated team, but maybe a, a, a topic for another day. Uh, throwing it out there. Um, but yeah, among their forwards, do you see any of them who have any sort of elite ability? Uh, I mean, the first guy we'd look at is Philip Forsberg. Um, 64 points last year in 67 games. So right around a point of game pace. Um, just a tremendously skilled player. Um, you know, a couple more dependable guys, you know, Victor Arvidsson, um, shorthanded specialist, three shorthanded goals. Shot the puck 247 times. Yeah. Um, he also, you know, he gets in there, gets some hits, some penalty minutes. So he's a good contributor in a lot of categories. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Arvidsson is a sneaky source of shots, especially, yeah, and last year I thought people weren't aware of him, but he's one of the top shot getters in the league. Forsberg, I don't know if I can put him in the elite category yet. I think he's in the dependable Joe. You know, he doesn't always stay healthy for the whole year. Um, but definitely he's got the ability, but I want to see him put it together. One guy that I've been high on in the past, but I'm generally uh, was disappointed with was Ryan Johansson at 54 points in 79 games. People keep calling him a first line center, but I just, I don't think he is. Um, I think he's more of a second line center and they have Kyle Turris as well down the middle. And I think he's a second-line center. So I think they have like a 2A, 2B type situation, you know, on the higher end for a second-line center. But what is up with Johansson? Like, are you counting on this guy this year? I mean, I think both of those guys are kind of more dependable Joe types for for fantasy. Like, we've seen what they're going to do. They've been around for a while now. They're not going to all of a sudden break out and hit the 80-point mark or anything. But they're pretty solid for maybe 50, 55 points. Because they play with good players as well. Yeah, and I think the thing that frustrates me with Johansson is like his ability is there. It just seems like I don't know if it's his fitness or his effort level, but or his consistency just waxes and wanes throughout the year. So I think he has point of game talent, but it's just frustrating to see that a guy that with talent like that can't really put it together and get that eighty points every year. And you know he kind of. Getting into the NHL, he had some ups and downs. So his career tends to go in an up and down way. So he's not somebody I'm going to be targeting too much because I think there's too much risk there. Um, Arvidsson, I like a lot because of the shots. Tourists, yeah, it's just the upside I, I, is not there for me. But looking at some of their other wingers, um, Craig Smith, I think he's a dependable Joe for a deep league, but 
you know, don't really count on him for more than, you know, 25 goals, 50 points at, at the high end. But one guy who I think is a big sleeper and has a lot more offensive potential to offer is Kevin Fiala. What do you think about him? Yeah, definitely. I mean, 23 goals last year, just 21 years old. Um, he could definitely be a guy that takes a leap uh, playing in that top six. Looks like he'd be in line with maybe with Forsberg, with Arvidsson on the second line. So Kevin Fiala is a young guy I definitely have my eye on. Um, another young guy they're really high on in Nashville is Eli Tolvanen. Yeah, so we know he's pretty much a pure goal scorer. What do you think about Tolvanen this year? Yeah, Tolvanen, I've had my eye on just hearing about his shot like ever since his draft year, and I was kind of shocked that he was able to fall to them to 30 overall in the 2017 draft. Um, 36 points in 49 games in the KHL, uh, 19 goals. I believe he broke uh, Kuznetsov's rookie record in the KHL. So I think Tolvanen has a lot of ability I do think he's overrated for this season in redraft leagues because people keep talking him up as though he's going to put up huge numbers. But given the depth that they have and guys like Forsberg and Fiala on the left wing ahead of him and then Arvidsson and Smith on the right wing, like I, I don't see him as a young player really jumping ahead of those guys. So I think for this year he's overrated, but I love his long-term potential. And I think he's a great goal scorer uh, for the future for sure. Um, and then looking at the, the other players, Cali Yarncro, I've you know kind of dipped my toe in the waters in the past, but he doesn't get the role that you'd need. Nick Bonino, 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 um, you know, I, I think he's just a third liner. You're not going to get much more from him. And then obviously the talk of the Nashville Predators is their defense, and they have so much, so many weapons in the on the back end. It, it's kind of interesting. Like PK Subban, finally last year he put up you know, big goal, to- goal totals. I don't know if you remember back when he was in Montreal and uh, the media was giving him a hard time because he wasn't scoring too many goals. And then he had the comment that he doesn't get paid to score goals. I'm sorry, if you're getting paid $9 million as a defenseman, you're getting paid to score goals. And if you're not scoring goals, then you're going to be criticized. So I was, it was nice to see, as I have him in one of my keepers, that he can, you know, he put up those goal totals and he, you know, does a little bit of everything with the hits and the penalty minutes. And so I think Subban is, is definitely an elite defenseman. Um, what are your thoughts on him? And, and, and there's also the Yossi, Alice, and Ekholm as well. Yeah, I think their top four is about as good as it gets in the NHL. Um, you know, PK and Roman Yossi, both uh, elite defensemen in my opinion. I mean, 253 shots from you know, Roman Yossi from the back end is just ridiculous. And then Ryan Ellis had kind of went under the radar last year with his injuries, but he played 44 games and scored 32 points. So that's, you know, easily a 50-point pace. So that's three defensemen over 50 points. Yeah, and the thing with Ellis, too, um, I think he has even more potential. Like, if he was on another team that didn't have these guys in front of him, I could totally see him putting up, I mean, good God, look at those 32 and 44 behind Subban and Yossi. I mean, arguably, he could put up a 60-point season if he got traded to you know say the Edmonton Oilers and he was on the power play for for that team but you know they recently re-signed him so it doesn't seem like they're going to move him at home you know 34 points in 81 games another guy that you'd be interesting to see on another team if he could do more but he seems it seems like the hierarchy is going to be Yossi and Subban um but you're right Ellis for sure I think is rosterable 
in fantasy. He's got that offensive ability. And Yossi, 14 goals, Subban, 16 goals. Like they're they're putting the puck in the net as well. So and the plus minus is gonna be good. So I think, you know, Yossi and Subban, I agree they're both elite, uh, sweet type guys. Ellis, I'd say, is a defendable Joe. At home, I don't think I'm gonna really roster him too much, just he doesn't get that opportunity. Um, so yeah, and that's yeah, most of what you can say. I mean, they have uh, Dante Fabro on the way, but it's makes you think maybe they'd have to trade a guy like that if he's ever going to get a shot with those four ahead of him. Um, and then, yeah, looking at their, their goalies, it's pretty interesting. Um, Pekka Rene, I think he won the Vesna Trophy last year, an amazing regular season, 42 wins, 13 losses, 2.31 goals against, and 9.27 save percentage. I mean, no surprise given the defense in front of him. But then he fizzled again in the playoffs. And, you know, the playoffs obviously doesn't doesn't matter for fantasy hockey. But it does matter in the sense that you kind of get a, a big picture view of where the team is going to be headed. And when he repeatedly cannot get it done in the playoffs, you tend to think that Nashville, you know, he's going to run out of chances. And he's getting older. Um, so I'm very intrigued in, uh, about UC Soros about maybe stashing him. He might not have that much value this year, but next year he could be, you know, insane value. So what what is your take on the goaltending situation? Yeah, I've been thinking the same. I mean, Pekka is heading in. This is the last year in his contract, and he's making $7 million a year. So I don't know if Nashville's going to be able to afford that. They're paying Alice big money now, PK's big money. they got a lot of big contracts. So it might be just let him go and go cheaper on the goaltending. And UC Saros has been very impressive. Like his numbers were all very, very similar to Rene's last year. Um, and, you know, when Rene won the Vezina. So I was also thinking of stashing Saros in, in keeper leagues and dynasty leagues and just waiting for next year when hopefully he's the starter there. So in a league that you can stash him, you know, in, on a, a bench type roster, um, I, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer to try to get Saros. But in a league where, like, he, he takes up a roster spot and, um, you know, he's only going to maybe play 25 games, is, is it really – is the upside worth it that he's going to be a top-five goalie for uh, top five goalie for years to come after this season for to stash in a, in a league where you're going to have to take a, take a hit on the roster spot? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends how many roster spots are in your league, how many reserves you get, and then – what your goaltending situation is like. If you have Vasilevsky and Halibut locked up for the next five years, probably not going to want to bother with that. But if goaltending is a question mark for you, or if you have Pekka as one of your goalies, then yeah, I'd probably take the risk of locking up Saros and just holding on to him right out this year. And then, you know, he's only 22, so you get him next year. If he's a starter at 23, 24 years old, you could have a good goalie for the next, you know, five six, seven years. Because you have a good goalie, or do you think he has that elite sweep capability as soon as next year? I mean, given the team as well. Yeah, obviously. it's hard to say. I think given the defense in front of him, um, you know, the numbers will be there. Just depends how he reacts. Because he's just, he's a smaller goalie. So he's going to have some bad games where he just loses the net, not in position. That's true. He's 5'11". Rene's 6'5". Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. And if Rene goes down, then Saros is going to be fantasy gold as well. So Absolutely. the Preds are an interesting team. So next up is the St. Louis Blues. A lot of intriguing players on this team. There's a bit of a turnover. The big addition this year is Ryan O'Reilly. 
So talking about the elite suite to start it off, I think for me, Vladimir Tarasenko show, you would call him the tank, whatever you want to call him. This guy is a ridiculously amazing goal scorer. He's just snipes it. He's just a snipe show. Tarasenko snipe show, whatever, whatever you want to call him. So I think he's an elite suite. Um, a bit of a down year, though, after getting the big contract. 33 goals, 66 points in 80 games. But would you, do you have any uh, doubt that Tarasenko is an elite suite type player? No, I really like Tarasenko. He's a guy I have in a couple leagues that I'm in. Um, you know, 33 goals last year in what you call a down season. 33 goals on 306 shots on goal. So he produces for you in a lot of ways. Um, it's a down season for him. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. So the, early in the season, that line of Tarasenko, Shen, and Jaden Schwartz were really lighting it up until Schwartz got hurt. Um, he's a guy that also had 59 points in 62 games. So, you know, a lot of people wouldn't really consider him an elite-level player, but that's, like, really good production um, for, for Jaden Schwartz. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think he's one of the more underrated players in the NHL. I think because he keeps getting injured every year, people don't pay attention. But they were both from the same draft, um, from the 2010 draft. Schwartz went 14th overall and Tarasenko went 16th overall. Actually, Tarasenko was traded, um, I think, for Ottawa, for David Runblad, um, who actually I was high on, but obviously didn't work out for Ottawa on that one. So I agree with you. Um, I think maybe that makes Schwartz like a bit of a sleeper because people won't realize how good he is. But I can't put him in the elite category because he hasn't really like put it together for the whole year. One of definite injury concerns there as well, as well without yeah. he's been. But when he's healthy, he's definitely a very good player. Yeah, so I'd favor him more in a matchup type league because I can kind of pick and choose. And if he does get injured... Um, I could put him on the IR and then bring somebody else in. But over like a roto or a course of his season, I, I want to see him, you know, fight that injury bug. I think one of the biggest question marks for fantasy hockey players for St. Louis this year comes down to their centers and who's going to play with Tarasenko. I think it really comes down to uh, Ryan O'Reilly, the new addition, who had 61 points in 81 games on a pretty bad Buffalo team. And then Braden Shen as well is the other guy who had some chemistry last year, had a bit of a career year after moving on from getting traded from Philly. He had 70 points in 82 games. Which of those two, it looks like early season O'Reilly is with Tarasenko, but which of those two are you favoring? Yeah, it looks like they're going to try and split those four up and make two really quality lines. So um, I think we'll see ROR start with Tarasenko and then Schwartz start with Shen and David Perron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those four are really the main guys I'd have interest in. Perron had a really good last year last year in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Not sure if that's going to be something he can continue. It, it was kind of his best year, his career year. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if he can continue that now that he's back in St. Louis. And then Patrick Maroon is, uh, you know, slotted in on line one with Tarasenko and O'Reilly. And he's just, you know, he's very average player. Like, it's just hits and some penalty minutes, but he's not really a big-time scorer. Yeah, I tend to agree on that. I mean, we can – some people might look and see, oh, he's playing with ROR and he's playing with Tara Shankstro. He's going to have big numbers. I mean, he played with Connor McDavid a lot last year. So, you know, if you really look at it that way, it's probably a downgrade for him. And he you know, might get some of that power play time, but I agree. I think Maroon is a risky play. 
David Perron, I think, is a risky play. 66 points in 70 games last year for, you know, arguably a fluky Vegas team. And uh, Perron, I, I think that's the high water mark from him, for him, and he's kind of on the downhill from here. Shen, I've been burned with before. I think he's a risky play because of the 70 points last year, and a lot of it had to do with playing with Tarasenko. So if he's not going to play with him, then I could totally see him having a bit of a regression. I think he's more in the 55 to 60 point range over the long term. Um, yeah, none of these guys, like they have definitely ability. They can, they're going to have a decent season, but I don't know outside of Tarasenko if any of these guys are going to really pop and go, you know, to a higher level. Another interesting guy coming back from injury who, you know, his star was shining bright at one point, um, but then these injuries have derailed it. It was Robbie Fabry. Is he somebody who you think is going to bounce back and somehow work his way into the top six? I'm a big fan of the talent of Robbie Fabry. Um, I'm, so I'm hopeful that he's able to bounce back from a really serious injury. Like he missed the entire season. Yeah. I mean, if if he is able to bounce back and maybe he slots up onto one of the, maybe takes Pat Maroon's place on the first line, then yeah, he's definitely somebody to be very interested in. Um, very good skill set. But, you know, as a setup now, I think he's more likely to be maybe third line at best, maybe fourth line as he kind of works his way back. Yeah. So he's kind of more of a, a wait and see kind of guy for me going into the year. Yeah, I agree. And I, another guy that the depth when St. Louis might hurt a bit is uh, Alex Steen. He's had some pretty good years in the past and getting power play time. Last year, pretty good year, 46 points in 76 games. But with the depth that they have, I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity that he'll need to produce. I think like the power play, they can use either Shen or Ryan O'Reilly on the point, which I think is where Steen has played in the past. Mm-hmm. And then there's not really any room for him on power play one, which makes him kind of unappealing in fantasy for this year, I think. Mm-hmm. I think Bozak is unappealing as a third-line center. I don't think there's really much of a chance he's going to play with a Tarasenko. They have a ton of young players that are super intriguing, um, one of them has been in the NHL, Ivan Barbashev. I don't know if he has the high on offensive ability. Another one really good in the OHL last year was uh, Robert Thomas. Um, people are really high on Thomas. He's uh, 20th overall in 2017. Uh, Jordan Cairo, he caught my eye, uh, not this past summer, but the summer before in the summer showcase with his wrist shot. And so he's got some elite level skills that if he gets a, an opportunity could impress and but I think it might he might be better served in the AHL this year. Um they have some other good guys like uh Clem Costin was in the AHL. Kind of reminds me uh, about um Nichushkin, which you know isn't the most flattering comparison, but um Costin is somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, Dominic Bach is from Germany. I was kind of hoping the Oilers would try to snatch him up in the second round if he lasted, but he went 25th overall. I think he's got some skill. But I don't think these guys are going to contribute this year. Another guy, um, he had a really good AHL year, 40 points in 42 games, is Sammy Blaze. So I, it's just hard to kind of figure out who to – Oscar Sunfist is another guy. Um, I don't, he's not as high as those guys. But any of these guys that kind of stand out that you think for this year or long term that you favor? Um, not really for this year. I think long term, uh, Jordan Cairo is the one guy – um, that stands out for me. I'd probably say him first and then Robert Thomas um, second. Yeah. 
Okay. So, yeah, the St. Louis Blue, they're, they're deep. We were talking about, and uh, up front, they're quite deep. So they could be a, a surprise team this year. I think they have a, a lot of potential. And if Tarasenko bounces back to his 40-goal uh, level, uh, that could make an, a big impact. Their defense, um, you know, I think Alex Petrangelo, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous as an Oilers fan that they have a guy like this. I, I just love how he kind of carries himself on the blue line and can run a power play. He started the season last year white hot. He was like point a game for the first like 15 games, ended up with 54 and 78. And that's the thing with him. He has so much ability. You'd think he'd be able to put up a 70-point type year, but he goes through these long stretches where he doesn't get too many points. So I kind of put him in the dependable Joe category, but I think his skills should be in the elite level. Um, but yeah, where do you stand on Petra Angelo? Uh for whatever reason, last year St. Louis didn't really score a lot of power play goals. Um, and you look at the talent on the team, like Tarasenko, Schwartz, Shen, Petrangelo on the point, they should be able to score a lot of goals on the power play. Mm-hmm. So if that can take a, another leap, like he had three power play goals and 10 power play assists. Mm-hmm. You know, if he can get that more up to like the 20 assists, maybe five goals, um, you'd hope he can get up to that more 60, 65 point range. And then and he can go to the elite level. Category, yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on a guy like Colton Pareko? Personally, I think he's a bit overrated. Everybody talks about him like he's a top pair defenseman. but the And he's got a ridiculous shot. So you'd think um, he'd get a lot more goals. But six goals in 82 games last year. He doesn't score as many goals as you think based on the shot that he does have. I mean, and for a big guy, he also doesn't really got a lot. Like, 13 penalty minutes isn't really a lot. And, like, he mm-hmm. doesn't really add anything in that category. So he's really, you know, a lot of shots, 212 shots, which is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he could take another step this year. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Uh, maybe get in that 45-point range. Yeah. But he's not in that elite category. He's maybe more of a dependable Joe type at this stage of his career. Yeah, because I thought with Shattenkirk out of the way, he would have taken off. But, uh, yeah, maybe it's, it's still to come. Uh, definitely somebody to keep your eye on. Another guy I keep my eye on has some you know, decent offensive numbers from the AHL is Vince Dunn. If he gets an offensive role on the power play alongside Petrangelo. Um, but probably not likely. Somebody just keep an eye on. How about their goaltending? Um, what are your thoughts on Jake Allen? Uh, Jake Allen uh, was not very good last year. I mean, 275 goals against average, 906 save percentage, not getting it done. Um, I know St. Louis is hopeful for a bounce-back season this year. Um, Hopefully that happens. Um, I don't know. I'm not sold on Jake Allen, I guess. He's he's good, but he's he's certainly not elite. I don't know that I'd call him a dependable Joe at this point either. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of in that sleepy to risky category. Um, yeah, his numbers are not impressive. And I, I think this is the first year that he was given the reins to be the guy after they got um, let Brian Elliott move on. But it seemed like he thrived a bit more when he was in that timeshare role. So I think the jury is still out whether he's a legit starting goalie in the NHL at this stage. But I think there's definitely upside if he can figure it out. He's had stretches where he's played really well and the team in front of him, he's got a lot of depth. So I think he could be pretty good. Is anybody like really going to challenge him though? I think that's the thing is, you know, maybe if he was on a team with an, uh, a really good goalie and waiting in the wings, like some of their guys 
you know, Jordan Bennington, um, pretty, pretty awesome numbers actually in the AHL 2.05 and 9.26. Uh, Vili Husso, um, you know, he was a draft pick from a few years ago, but it doesn't seem like any of those guys, Chad Johnson looks like he might be the backup. Any of these guys who are going to really like push him. So it seems like it's his job to, to lose. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. I mean, I guess Chad Johnson will be the backup going into the year, but he's not really a threat to be a number one. Mm-hmm. Um, Allen got outplayed by Carter Hutton last year, Yeah, um, which led to Hutton getting the free agent deal from Buffalo. So be interesting to see that could be the thing that holds St. Louis back because they do have a lot of forward depth and a few pretty good defensemen as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Jake Allen is one of these guys with a wide range of outcomes. He might fizzle out and then St. Louis with their bevy of assets, maybe they sit, tell themselves like we need to make a move for a legit goalie because that's the only thing holding us back. Well, on the other hand, if he can figure it out with the team in front of him, you know, he could conceivably get a 35 win type season. So yeah, like they could be the team going to Colorado and saying, what's it going to take to get a Varlamov? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point as well. So keep an eye on that. And uh, the blues, um, if you can figure out who's going to, who's going to step up for them, then you could really get some fantasy gold and it could be a, a game changer for the, the season in your fantasy leagues. So we'll finish off the Central Division talking about the Winnipeg Jets. This is another one of those teams that we can't just call it an elite suite. We have to call it an elite household because they have several guys. I'll let you take it away and tell us about their elite players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first line with Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, and Kyle Connor was very good last year. Wheeler and Shifley are in that elite category for sure. And Kyle Connor had a very good rookie season. If you had him in a dynasty league, you're very happy with his 31 goals last year in 76 games. Um, the second line, you know, like Nikolay Ehlers, 29, point, 29 goals and 60 points in 82 games. So very good production from him as well. And then, of course, we must mention Patrick Line also on that second line. 44 goals last year. Just scratching the surface of his potential. Um, he's just an absolute beast. 241 shots, 20 power play goals. Just an absolutely unreal top six on this Jets team. Yeah, it's kind of scary, actually. So I would put Shifley, Wheeler, and Line in the elite category. Um, I think Connor and Ehlers are dependable Joes, but you know, a scary thought for the rest of the league. I think the talent for those two other guys could be elite actually one day as well. Yeah, I mean, they're both only 21 years old. Yeah, which is, yeah, which is makes you shudder as an Oilers fan. Um, Shifley, for sure. I mean, he's elite. I've just been impressed with how he kind of keeps getting better. And, you know, he was, he was drafted seventh overall. Um, he, I think he was the first Jets pick from when they came back um to winnipeg where they came to came to winnipeg not came back but 60 points 60 games last year he's a number one center no question blake wheeler got that deal 91 points 81 uh, in 81 games he's a winger so that brings that extra value 68 assists is just amazing so wheeler you can count on line is the guy that um you know i think he's just ridiculous as you said it's just obscene the the shot that he has 44 goals his assist totals are a bit lower, 26 assists only. So I could totally see him eclipsing the, anything he's even talking about, getting over 50 goals this year. Um, so I think he can easily get over 50 goals. That 26 assists just seems like 
criminally low. Like you'd think he'd be able to get a lot more assists. He's a great pa- underrated passer. Um, so I think he can totally get that point a game level. Do you think Line A is going to get 50 goals this year? Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely a possibility. I mean, he keeps shooting. He had 241 shots last year. If he can get that up a little higher, maybe close to that 300 mark like Ovechkin does, uh, he could absolutely hit 50. So I, I think we're we're in agreement that it's just a matter of time before Line A takes over the Rocket Richard mantle from Ovechkin. And I don't think Ovechkin you know, is going to lay down and give it to him necessarily this year. Um, but I think Line A could for sure do it. Um, I mean, just look, he's just 20 years old still. And it's just the amount of goals he scored already in the NHL is just amazing. Um, and then, yeah, Kyle Connor, really good player, 57 points. I mean, I think he's got the ability. His, his college numbers were, like, obscene. So he's got the ability. Ehlers, I like a lot as well. I expect more from him, though. 60 points in 82 games. I think Ehlers has got even more. Like that, that goes to show how much talent he has, that he puts up those kinds of numbers. And I'm I'm like, why did he have a bad year? You know, like Ehlers is, is so fast. His shot when he gets it off is obscene. Like he needs to use it a lot more. Um, but yeah, do you think those two guys could get to that elite level? Yeah, definitely. I think they both have that potential. I really like Ehlers as well. Um, you know, 231 shots last year. So he's starting to starting to utilize that shot more. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully he can get that up a little bit higher this year. And then looking at the second line center, Brian Little, you think, you know, a guy playing between line A and Ehlers, he'd have uh, upside. But I think he's a really risky play because it's clear that Winnipeg doesn't necessarily believe in him as their long-term second line center, as evidenced by the fact that they traded for Paul Stastny at the deadline last year and he got bumped down. So I think a guy who has sleeper potential written all over him is Jack Roslovic. And I think it's just a matter of time before he takes his rightful place on that second line between those two. And I think that's why Winnipeg was comfortable letting Stastny walk because they knew Roslovic um, is going to be stepping up and eventually is going to take over that role. Do, do you agree or do you think Little hangs on to it for a bit longer? Yeah, no, I think uh, Little will start there for sure. But He's just not somebody that has a lot of upside anymore. Um, Ross Lovitch is definitely the guy you want for the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got Matthew Pro also on the third line. He gets a lot of first uh, unit power play time. Mm-hmm. 40 points last year in 70 games, so not too bad. Uh, kind of a dependable guy if you need like a late, late round guy. He's not going to win you your fantasy league, but he'll give you a little bit of uh, access to that Winnipeg power play. Yeah, and I think that's one of our points we made with Tampa in another pod was that when you're one of these elite offenses, you just want to get a piece of it. So I think in a deeper league, Perot isn't a bad uh, flyer because he's going to get he, he gets power play point uh, power play minutes. But I do think he's a little bit injury prone, so I'd be cautious of of that. Another guy with some pedigree um, is Nick Patan. I could see eventually um, him taking over that Perot role, but not necessarily this year. Another guy that I just was, as I was glancing in, in preparation for this podcast, was a Brendan Lemieux. You know, he's an AHL-type guy. Um, but I'm interested because, you know, son of Claude Lemieux, um, born in Denver, Colorado, and I guess Claude was out there. In the AHL last year, very interesting power forward-type numbers, 43 points in 51 games, 19 goals, and 170 penalty minutes. So, obviously... You know, he takes after his dad, 
in his pass type ability. But Brendan Lemieux, I don't know if it's this year, but it's definitely somebody I'm going to keep my eye on that, you know, if he can strike gold and somehow get even on the third line um, or, you know, obviously second top top two pair in the long run, he could be one of these guys who can contribute in a lot of different categories. Um, another guy that's one of their picks from 2017, 24th overall, he's kind of fallen under the radar for me, but paying attention a bit more is Christian Veselainen. He seemed, I've read some things saying he can, if he was in the NHL this year, he'd have 50 points. So, uh, it's just, when does it end with, it seems like they hit on every single first rounder they've ever had. Um, but yeah, any of those guys kind of stand out to you? Yeah. Veselainen's a guy I've also heard a lot about, um, it seems to be a pretty good selection for dynasty leagues. Um, and then Lemieux, I don't know if he'll ever get any kind of top six minutes on this Jets team. Mm-hmm. But I mean, those kind of penalty minute numbers and that kind of grit can play as you know a third line type of player. He might be have a little bit of fantasy value as well. But on that same vein, with um, the limited minutes for the top six, I think for a long term dynasty, you kind of want to. S- say, how can I get a piece of this top six, right? So I think the only hole that I can see is the little one. And that's why I say Roslovic has that long-term potential. But Veselainen, like, how is he ever going to unseat Ehlers or Connor in the top six? Yeah, it's not likely to happen anytime soon. Um, you know, he might be a trade chip if they're trying to add a defenseman later in the year, or else, like, he'll be on the third line maybe at the start of the year with Roslovich and Perot, which would be one of the best third lines in hockey. Yeah. And I think just based on their track record, since they went to Winnipeg, I think it's just a good strategy that anybody who's picked in the first round by the Winnipeg Jets, you should keep your eye on. <laughs> it's because pretty much every single one of them have hit. So the forwards is a lot there. Um, but yeah, too much talent, really. But looking at their defense, they have also a lot of talent on defense. And a guy like Dustin Bufflin, uh, he's one of the rare guys like a Brent Burns that can play forward and D. He's you know been D ever since he's been with the Jets in, in general. Last year, 45 points in 69 games. Another one of these guys gets you the penalty minutes and the hits, and he gets a ton of shots as well. Um, so I think Bufflin for fantasy hockey is actually elite, and it really is because of the categories that he brings with the power play, the penalty minutes, the hits, the shots. He does it all. Yeah, I don't know if I put him as elite, uh, maybe like the upper tier of dependable Joes, but he's definitely a very good fantasy player. Tyler Myers also had a nice year last year, kind of maybe in that dependable range as well. And then Josh Morrissey and Jacob Truba are both kind of guys you'd like to see a little bit more from. They seem to have a lot of talent, uh, mm-hmm. but the point totals just haven't quite got there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Truba was injured, obviously, last year and missed some time for only 55 games. I agree. I think there's just not that upside there. A Truba, we've all expected, you know, would be able to produce more at this stage. Maybe it is because Bufflin is kind of in his way, but that's not going to change this year. One guy on defense who had a really good AHL year last year was Sammy Niku. He had 54 points in 76 games from the back end and 16 goals, uh, which is really high for a defenseman. But again, I don't know with uh, where he's going to slot in, but we have to keep in mind that uh, this team has lost Tobias Enstrom, who had a decently big uh, defensive role for this team. So I could see one of these guys kind of stepping up with Bufflin. Because we've talked about some other teams that have multiple 50-point defensemen. And with the forwards up front, like even if they just pass it up to an Ehlers and he takes off and sets up line A, that's an easy point there. So 
who's your candidate out of, you know, outside of Buffalo to kind of get up into that 40, 50 point range? I would think Truba for this year. And then I would take Miku in the dynasty league. Um, okay. Like you said, he scored a lot of points in the AHL. He scored a goal in his only game with Winnipeg last year. So he's the guy that you'd look for going forward, maybe in a couple of years. Um, once Bufflin's gone, kind of take that place and like play the power play with Ehlers and Line A mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Connor and Shifley. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, talking about the Jets' de- uh, goaltending here, you know they bought out Steve Mason. Um, I guess he didn't really pan out for them last year. Uh, he didn't have a great year, but in some ways he did pan out because he pushed Connor Hellebuck and it pushed the Hellebuck into becoming the goalie that everybody kind of thought he would be. And I think, you know, it's a bit of risk because it was one year, but given the team in front of him and like 44 wins last year, 236, 924, I think he's in the elite suite as well. Yeah, there's no question Hellebuck's in the elite suite. I mean, he didn't really give Mason much of a chance last year. He kind of took the number one job right out of camp and just ran with it. I mean, 44 wins in 64 games started. Um, you know, great numbers, 924 save percentage, and just such a good team in front of him that he's going to pick up a lot of wins. And he's young too. He's, uh, you know, born in 93. So I guess he's around like 25 right now. And that's generally when goalies do start kind of getting going. So he's just at the beginning of a potentially very fruitful career. I'd say in a dynasty type league, him and Vasilevsky are one, two, um, whichever order you want to choose him in. Um, Do you think there's just a morsel of risk with him because the year before he had quite a bad season and maybe he really needed Steve Mason to push him. Um, yeah. What do you, am I out to lunch on that one? I'm not too worried about him at all. He seems to be like really locked in. Um, I think like, like you said, him and Vasilevsky are the two guys in dynasty. If you have them, you're set and goal for the next, you know, six to 10 years with those two guys. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like, their team is ever going to take a step back and all their young players or all their top end players are still very young except for Wheeler and their defense is, is, is loaded. They have another prospect in Logan Stanley coming up. Um, so the future is bright for this team. And I think that means the same for Hellebuck. So Winnipeg, um, you know, I grew up in Winnipeg for a few years, but I'm an Oilers fan so I, I don't want to see them do so so well, but uh, it'll, it'll be an interesting year in Winnipeg. I'm happy for the fans after all those years that they suffered to get a team like this. Um, so I think the sky's the limit this year, and I think Line A is just going to be a treat. And I, I think he's going to win the Rocket this, this year, and he's going to get over 50 goals. So we'll see how that plays out. That's your bold prediction for the year, hey? I don't know. if Is that a bold prediction, or is that a hot take? Um, I'm not so sure. I think uh, my bold prediction is that Taylor Hall is going to get injured. The New Jersey Devils are going to miss the playoffs. And then the entire narrative is going to flip on its head. But we'll talk about that another day. The Winnipeg Jets, that's the central division for you. And uh, we'll be back for, last but not least, the Pacific Division.